a Podcast One production. From the Inside with Peter Ricks. Peter Ricks is an Australian music industry veteran who has spent his life working in and around the music business in Australia. From managing artists like Marsha Hines, John English, Hush and Billy Field to 14 years as the original producer and chairman of the ARIA Music Awards. Along the way, Peter has made a lot of friends and it's some of these friends that you'll meet over the course of this series. They're the success stories, the survivors, the maniacs, who helped steer the Australian music business from the 70s onwards, and somehow they're all still relevant and thriving today. You'll hear their stories, their triumphs and their troubles. Unvarnished and honest conversations with a bunch of unique, fascinating characters. The journey in this first episode is an important one for the industry as a whole. The first ARIA Music Awards ceremony was at the Wentworth Hotel in Sydney in 1987 with Elton John as the Master of Ceremonies and John Farnham with his Whispering Jack album winning nearly everything. It was the coming together of the music business with all its egos, vibes, competitiveness and divided opinions all under the one roof and there to celebrate. The awards were founded and driven by the board of ARIA and 10 men and women known as the Board of Governors. Peter Ricks was chairman and producer of the ARIAs on that night in 1987 and for the next 14 years to 2000. And in his first conversation on From the Inside, he speaks to two former members of the Board of Governors and indeed founding fathers of the ARIAs, Philip Mortlock and Mark Pope. Gentlemen, welcome to From the Inside. Thank you. Hello, Peter. Philip, you first. Um, we need to know about you before we actually get down to the nitty-gritty here. And as we talk about the awards, we should mention your chairman in those days, who really, Paul Turner, oh, who was the chairman of ARIA and who, of course, I, I sort of... I shouldn't say fraudulently approached, but <laughs> in order to get this whole thing to work, it needed the full board of ARIA to want to do it. And yeah, there was a, in the old days, there was quite a reluctance to participate in, one, in, in, in bringing their own award ceremony together. But Paul, bless him, because he's long past us now, but it was a, he was a big part of oh, backing He was a in. big driver of it, a uh, great supporter of it. And you're right, at the time it was fairly contentious because uh, we had Countdown still dominating the, the music industry as an incredible marketing tool for the industry. And they had established their own awards, the Countdown TV Week Awards, and they'd been running for a number of years, and that was the premier awards uh, event of the year. So for ARIA to then start up something that was seen by many to be a, a competition with that was controversial. Um, and uh, so from a, from a number of people's perspective, that was biting the hand that fed them. But the, uh, the intention, if I can you know, jump in there, was to to make sure that these awards that were being created by ARIA were uh, the antithesis of what the Countdown Awards were. They were popular awards. They were voted for by the readership of TV Week and the, and the viewers of Countdown versus the intention of the ARIA Awards being a peer-voted uh, awards. Indeed. So for those of you who were alive and listening to this during the days of Countdown... Um, 
there was a wonderful night at the swimming centre in Melbourne. I think they used to call it the Melbourne Aquatic Centre that that was turned into a concert venue similar to the Sydney Horton Pavilion and uh, the, uh, the Countdown Awards were held and uh, I, along with my brothers and sisters from the music business, all arrived together in Melbourne uh, where Countdown was filmed in our, in our bow ties to sit on the floor of, the, of this concert venue whilst around the walls, so on the raked seating to the, to the left, right and back, were 5,000 members of Melbourne's youthful Countdown aficionados, young men and women screaming a lot. Mm. Uh, and uh, as we sat there feeling a little like uh, being in the lion's den... Um, the uh, award for the best group nomination came up and Molly Ian Meldrum was the Master of Ceremonies and he announced the nominees, two of which were in excess and the other one was the Melbourne band The Uncanny X-Men who were very, very popular in Melbourne. And as I was sitting there quite close to your, to Mr Peter Eichen who you've mentioned and Paul Turner, um they announced that the winner of the Best Group Award that year for the Countdown Awards was In Excess. So it was Michael and the band headed to the stage with big smiles all over their face. The Uncanny X-Men fan club in direct line to the camera behind Ian Meldrum's back unfurled a 15-metre-long banner that said very loudly, fuck off, pockface. It was about at that stage that I leaned over to Paul and said, I think we need our own award show. <laughs> now, Mr Pope, my dear old friend, industry luminary that you are, you don't escape without giving the listeners an edited but family-friendly, of course, version of your life and times. Why in the end did you agree to lose countless nights' sleep and join the maniacs that were in those days the Board of Governors? I, I remember that night vividly because I had Billy Idol in my room and I threw him out of my room at the end of the night. <laughs> so he drank the scotch and wanted another bottle. But um, up until that point, I'd actually... Uh, I was working at Westfield and Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs were touring Australia and I so wanted to be part of the music industry. One, uh, because I love music. Two, I was curious to know what happened backstage. And three, I hated cues. So if you're in the music industry, you could always avoid the queue. Um, and long story short, ended up uh, tour managing the Angels in 79, 1980, at the peak of their powers, both here and overseas. And that band came so close to breaking America, particularly in the Northwest region. But it didn't quite happen, but it was so near yet so far. Um, and at the age of 23, when I was flying to America, I thought, my God, I've realised my life dream. One was to work in America and the other was to work for a rock and roll band. So I'd peaked early at 23. Certainly had, mate. Um, then I went on to uh, tour manage Cold Chisel, which is where I got to know Phil really well because uh, Philip was very, very involved in the, uh, well, not only the early days, but the whole career of Cold Chisel, and I ended up tour managing Cold Chisel. So for a boy from Parramatta in the western suburbs, tour managing not one but two of Australia's greatest rock and roll bands, it was like a... Like a t 
teenage boy's wet dream. It was fantastic. The golden era, maybe. Absolutely. And I actually do recall the um, the Countdown Awards and there was, a, there was this uneasy tension between the populism and the TV Week Awards, oh, sorry, the TV Week magazine and all the rest of it. And at that stage, cultures were just hotter than a pistol uh, with East Out. And it was a dilemma about what to do. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, play the awards. Um, so I remember saying to Rod Willis one day, he was flying up to uh, somewhere to see the band. Rod Willis being their manager in those days. Correct. Yep. And I said, why don't you just get them to go on stage and do Wild Thing and just trash the stage at the end of it? That'd be a statement. Oh, God, so it was your, you're the, to blame for that. Well, Rod then met with Don Walker and they came back with this idea that they were going to do My Turn to Cry and then turn it into another song. And funnily enough, I, as I said, I worked at Westfield out at uh, North Rocks. That Saturday morning I bought this cheap as shit guitar for like 50 bucks and I said, this guitar is going to be famous on Sunday night. And the guy looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, oh, yeah, just watch the Countdown Awards. <laughs> so I took it home and I got the hacksaw and hacked the back of it so that when Jimmy trashed the stage and all the rest of it, it would fall apart. And I'll never forget that, leaving um, um, Grant and Michael Shrimpton with this look on our face. Jimmy and I ran out of there like a pair of school kids, you know. I had my VW bug in the back lane of the Regent Theatre and we just roared out of there laughing, absolutely trashed the joint. And... Um, I remember the opinion was so divided. It's like, how dare they and how great was that and all the rest of it. But like Donald Trump, it was it was riveting, you know. So you, you listened <laughs> and you watched. And it's been replayed a few times over the years. Absolutely. And then the following year, I, I, I re, well, not the following year, but the, the year after the Uncanny X-Men incident, I, all I recall at the Sheraton Wentworth, as it was called then, was Elton John with white hair, I think, White hair, he yeah, had bleach blonde. John Farnham with really, really long hair, Mullet. long tables, and jugs of beer. <laughs> well, that was the first hour, yeah. as far as there I remember. There were round it. tables, and there was wine. Was there? <laughs> and bow ties. I remember. I must have the, been in the cheap seats. Yes, I remember. There were no cheap seats. I made everybody pay. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. Uh, interestingly, the, you know the, those first arias. Uh, and it, I think it was actually, it was either Sam Hamilton from Polygram or Peter Eichen, who was a friend, yes. persuaded Elton John to uh, host the it awards. Was, it, was, so it was both of them. That the intention there was to add, you know, add a, a, as much prestige to the event as possible. Plus, we were all, you know, uh, instructed to wear tuxedos. None of us had tuxedos, so we all went out and bought them or hired them. All turned up looking like penguins. And... Uh, and then, then the awards ensued. And and you know, you pointed, you made the point before that John Farnham, uh, having had Whispering Jack out for for that year and done you know astounding success with that album, won nearly every award. But I do remember Jenny Morris when she got up to accept the award for best female, said, "Well, at least this is one award that John Farnham can't win." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there was a point there, like a serious point. Um, I don't know whether people realise that we had it back then or whether we still have it. I don't think we do. It was a thing called cultural cringe. And with music and the arts, I grew up with this thing of anything from Australia was second rate compared to anything from the UK or America. And that first awards was the very first turning point of a sense of, I don't know, pride and affirmation of, of we were just as good as the rest of the world because unlike these days... We were on the arse end of the world, you know. We weren't plugged into what was going on with the rest of the world. So we had to 
make it up and make up the rules as we went along, and it was that was a key point. Yeah, yeah. and and I think it. Uh, if I can pick up on that, it was uh, a, a beginning of the twisted ironies uh, of of what the IRS has had to deal with ever since. Because I remember there was a statement that you, Peter, may have come up with, which was recognizing excellence in Australian music. So the intention was to recognize. Mm. Excellence in Australian music. Uh, that said, we started off with the awards uh, with uh, um, Elton John hosting one year, Cliff Richard hosted the next year. Uh, so we felt that we needed to have some involvement from from non-Australians to to raise the bar, as it were. But it was always intended that the the awards would be a peer-voted uh, awards, Absolutely. and that it would be all about the Australian artists. So obviously, when television read its ugly head. Uh, a few years later. What do you mean after Elton John had told us on stage well, yes. that he was there and having the most wonderful time and whatever you do, never put these awards mm-hmm. on television? Exactly. Correct. And I'll come back every time I'm in Australia. Yeah. Didn't last long, did it? No. Well, I guess that's where we're going to head with this discussion about the Aras and its, in its illustrious history is that, you know, it started out w- with a very pure intent and then through the through the years... For various reasons, it's be, that that intent has been diluted and misdirected. Sometimes diluted, and other times strengthened. But the thing that I love about the Arias, and this is full credit to Peter, Peter Eichen, and and those founding fathers, as I call them, was after the bread and circuses of the night, there was a record of excellence mm-hmm. of who was the best and brightest each year. And now that record, those milestones are what, 32 Mm. years laid down? Mm. So well after the bread and circus of the night, the fact that we now have this history, recorded history of who was the best Indigenous artist in a particular year, who was the best male artist, who was the best female artist, it's there. Totally well after agree. the circus leaves. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That was the intention and it certainly stood the test of time. And the thing that, that, that uh, the funny thing about life is something happens, then it causes a reaction. The whole thing of popular voted awards, I, I know I can speak for the three of us here, uh, and we're not being snobbish, but we know the difference between a popular vote and a peer voted award. And one of the things I recognise with the artist in general was to be voted by peers was something that was quite profound because it was recognising excellence from your own peers as opposed to, you know, when popular votes happen, it's who's hot this week. Mm. And this is this was beyond hot. Looking at you two, it was the strength of the Board of Governors to, to not politicise those awards, to allow there to be a recognition in that in that event, if you like. It wasn't just about the biggest album of the year. It was about jazz. It was about children's. And it still is to this mm. day. And that that that's a, a, an extremely important legacy for those men and women who started it. Picking up on that point, um, and it gets back to that cultural cringe, I remember a time when Australians in general hated the idea of getting awards. We felt uncomfortable Mm. with the awards, with any sort of awards, accolades. It's like the tall poppy syndrome, don't stick your head up. But I I recall over the evolution of the ARI Awards, and let's admit it, our first and our last call of what motivated us three and others, and many others, was the promotion of the artist, was the enhancement of the artist, the acknowledgement of the artist and all the rest of it. And the thing that I was most proud of, being involved through the years of the ARI Awards, that 
To win an ARI award became aspirational. It was something of worth, of value, not, the, not because of the added sales or anything like that, but it actually meant something. And that was a very, very powerful thing. And it carried us through fantastic ARI awards and also carried us through some shit ones along the way. <laughs> and I was involved in one of them at the fucking opera house. <laughs> My God, what a circus. This is From the Inside with Peter Ricks. He's in conversation with two of the founding fathers of the ARI Awards, former ARIA board director Philip Mortlock and long-time producer of the ARIA Awards, Mark Pope. In a moment, they speak more about how the ARIAs still mean so much to recording artists and how that large pointy ARIA Award came about and has sometimes become a weapon. That journey of change that's gone on in the music business where the sales of CDs are hardly the, the basis on which you're going to make a living if you want to be a recording act. And we've gone through the, in, the arias, have, have survived through the eras both of the, of the loss, enormous loss of, of uh, income from CD sales disappearing or record sales disappearing into um, the iTunes downloading world when suddenly Steve Jobs inherited the music business. And now we, we move into another era, and I'm sure it's not the last era, where it's uh, delivery on demand through Spotify. Now, th- as, the, as the delivery mechanism and the infrastructure of the music business has changed and the ARIAs have had to evolve and change with it, have they? Have they, are they genuinely still a reflection? Because you've raised the point, Phil, of whether or not there are people who are missing out now as a result of of how the nomination structure might be might be brought together. If you're not a member of ARI, you can't nominate. Look, um, it's the, for want of a better phrase, it's the tail wagging the dog. You know, we've got uh, an awards system which I think is still robust and strong enough to, to withstand whatever changes go into the industry because music still gets made. There's still all these different genres. There might be a new one that comes along that replaces another one. You know, there might need to be a few cosmetic changes to what the awards are but essentially the industry is actually going through an incredible growth you know sure there's been a decline in in people actually going and buying physical product in the marketplace but the uh, the growth of activity and interest in music online is just just exploding so it's actually a fantastic time mm. uh, for the industry and 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 so therefore the arias has a, has a great place in all of that because when people go diving into the the great ocean of of uh, of um, Spotify or whichever service they want to want to choose to to look for new music, they need things like ARI Award nominated or ARI Award winning um, artists and albums and songs to be to be highlighted so that they know you know it's one of the many guides that they have to find what is actually good out there you know so if there's probably a better uh, environment now for a peer voted uh, award system that that you know, seeks out and highlights excellence in, in the, the Australian music scene. Um, and, you know, if, if the ARIAs don't keep up with it, then, then uh, you know, there are other, other mechanisms that will, that will fast take its place. Mark, um, do you think the impact of winning, as you mentioned earlier, the, an, an ARIA award or a nomination for an ARIA award, do you think it still has that, that relevance? Probably a question to ask the artist, um uh, but one thing I do know, in the like, you did the awards what for the first 14, 13 years? Fourteen years. 
I produced them for 10 years. The first seven were great. The last three were just, ugh, I'm still recovering. Um, but uh, one thing I do we know... Will, we will dig into that shortly, you realise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bit of psychotherapy. No left unturned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Scorch marks everywhere. But, um, no, um, one thing I do know is when I was doing the ARI Awards, it was because sometimes when you're in the inside you forget and then you're reminded by an artist. And it happened on more than one occasion where these artists, these fresh-faced young artists, they're rehearsing on stage and they'd say, I used to see the Aries on television and I was in my shorty pyjamas and watching and going, one day I want to get up on that stage Mm. and here I am. Mm. And that's that energy that you hear from from kids that haven't been through the process and we all get jaded and worn down by these things but that was always a reminder to me of the importance of what we did and 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 you know we we were just relay racers we had to hand the baton on to the next bunch of people to oh, do the job look. and all the rest of it but i think it's relevant i think it's even more relevant because as i said you look at that 32 year role of renown, role of honour board, who wouldn't want to be in the company of those stars? Yeah, look, I agree with that. And I, look, and I, 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 never, I never think of it as, as anything other than how lucky was I to be a part of it all at the time. You started it. Yeah. I, I was, but I think I, was, I liked your point before, Mark, about, um, about the, the relevance of the award, you know, as, as it's grown and, and, uh, and become you know, very much a part of what this industry is about. You know, mm. if you've been nominated for or have won an, an ARIA, it's, it's you know, it's it right there. It means something. It's, it's in everybody's bio, you know, it's yeah. within the first paragraph. It's a badge of honour. And yeah. that, that, that to me, says the ARIA Awards were, is and will be credible in the future because it actually means something to the artists. Yes. But I think what where we do get bogged down, pardon the pun, is the, the machinations of what goes into the actual event itself, you know, whether it be the event that the industry attends mm. or what turns up on television. Mm. And so that that polarises a lot of opinions about what's wrong with the ARIAs or, you know. Mm. And and I think that's where, you know, certainly where you, if you want uh, stories, Pete, that's where you're going to find the more interesting ones is well, you know, I- each event has produced... A number of curly, hmm. oh, the yeah. twisted tales. The whole thing of in-the-room experience versus on-television experience, it's like tightrope walking along a razor blade hmm. because sure as shit, there's going to be one side of the room that goes, oh, mate, in the room, it was fantastic, the beer was flowing and da-da-da and all the rest of it. And on TV, there were reports that it was absolute shit. It was like amateur hour. Then on the other side, we'd have, oh, it looked fantastic on television. Well, you should have sat in the room. I mean, Peter, you recall the Capitol Theatre. Had to bolt the doors at one stage to stop them from going to the pub across the road. One third of the room left for the hotel. That's led, where we came by, up with the idea. Led by the manager of, of Savage Garden at the time, John Woodruff, who, <laughs> who was leaving them because he wasn't going to win an award that night. No, but that's where I came up with the idea of how do you keep people in the room? The only place you could get alcohol was in the room. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was probably the smartest thing that you ever did. Uh, Thanks le- for that. Let me go back one step. Is that in the very beginning of of this the the gestation of these awards there were, in that board of governors we talked about there was and it's very important to recognise them there, that there was Peter Eichen from Warner Brothers that you inherited the, the uh, role from but there was also Brian Harris um, EMI uh, Gil Robert 
Sony. from Sony, Michael Manos uh, from Virgin. There was Sue Max, Sue McCauley, bless her, from Mushroom. Mushroom. Um, and uh, Kerry Fitzgerald Kerry. from from Festival. Um, th- that those men and women, as I said earlier, evolved. The, they they were the brave ones in the very beginning. Absolutely. But remembering that that on the back of that conversation I'd had in Melbourne at, in the in the whatever it was called the entertainment centre as the fuck off pop face banner came up, it then became that uh, in front of the board of, of the full board of Aria that. I got them to agree to do it on the basis that it would never cost them any money. <laughs> a ball-faced lie, of course. I fix that. <laughs> <laughs> but but the plan, the, the 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 evolution of it all was that I, there I was as a, as the C-class member of Ari with a small <laughs> independent record label, but really managing acts and and putting shows on. So I I I had a certain number of skills as long as I was happy and I was to, to just donate it and do the work that um, provided, and I said it very loudly to the to the Board of Aria, you'll pay for the tickets. Mm. And, and the thing that everybody forgets from those early days is nobody, no nominee, no record company executive, no one got a free ticket. Mm. So we, we're not telling Not Glenn A. Baker. Not it. Well, I'm sure Glenn A. Baker found a way to get to get a ticket from a record company, as, I'm, su- as right. I'm sure did yeah. Kathy McKay. It was, all, it was all user pays, so it had yeah. to be paid. So, so whatever, and, and, and nearly everything that you had in the production itself was was contrad, contrad, absolutely. Which leads me to then, Philip, your your work because it's important to not forget that lovely little pointy object that now means so much to people. Um, that, of course, evolved because in year one it wasn't there. Well, and I'll tell you why. It's because there was no money. So let's see if we can get an award made that's not going to cost us any money. So <laughs> one of the suppliers of of engraved, you know, items that record companies use to, to do gold records or whatever offered to provide their services for gratis. And so we managed to cobble together an award that was actually made out of vinyl um, appropriately at the time, uh, and it wasn't it wasn't really a great award at all. So after a couple of years, I think everybody decided that we should actually spend some money and get a proper award designed and made. Mm. And so those large pointy things that you now see being handed out as of year three, uh, you know, they cost a couple of hundred dollars each. That and was you, right? No, I didn't design the the one that exists now. I designed the the, oh, right. the crappy one that was no, it wasn't that crappy, but it was you know. Because those Zari awards, you pick them up. That's an assault with a deadly weapon. They're dangerous. Absolutely. Well, in fact, they were assault with a deadly weapon. But yes. that, they Ask were Tex Perkins. Mm. Yeah. So they were they were designed though by uh, Mark Denning, who right. was a graphic artist at Warner's. Right. Yeah. That's right. So we, we basically asked him, "Can you come up with?" Actually, I think we asked a couple of people, and he won the. Uh, the, the prize, as it were, to um, to get his design actually adopted by the ARI Award uh, Committee and uh, and that's became the ARI Award. And a couple of them ended up in the harbour from memory? Yes. One band, I forget, they were with, with Polygram at the time, they they dropped they accidentally dropped their award over the side of a uh, an after-party boat cruise and Tex Perkins famously 
Uh, I've just read his book. He he actually describes it beautifully. He's such a funny guy, but uh, he describes how he had two and he needed to hold a glass. That was was after the cruel sea one, everything, right? Mm. That's right. So he shoved one of them into the wall, you know, literally point first to sort of hold it there. And then he saw somebody... Uh, grappling with his girlfriend over the other side of the room, so he <laughs> went over with the award and, you know, oh, no. wasn't, wasn't pretty. Mm. It's a lot of blood. Peter, I just want to pick up on the point that you said. There's lots of funny stories and 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 wild stories and all the rest of it, but that, those early days, that, that should be noted. We talk about standing on the shoulders of giants, led by yourself, but that team, just a little thing, like these days, what computers do. Oh, right? yeah. You go back to then, it was sending out stamped addressed envelopes and and the collation of stuff manually and I, I've it. always been happiest in that environment yeah Mr Pope well, well <laughs> I'm happy for you but it was it was, well, it was a lot of work went into it and all these people had day jobs That's all those true. people that worked at those record companies they had day jobs they had to go back to the 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 hustle and the bustle of what was going on but for them to have given their time and given their energy and their expertise and their contacts, they're the real heroes, Hmm. I reckon. In part two of Peter Ricks' conversation with Mark Pope and Philip Mortlock, they continue their look at the history of the ARIA Awards with a few gold old rock and roll stories. Powderfinger on stage and they had this look on their face as they're accepting an award, as if to say, what the fuck are we doing here? It did. They did. That's the look they had. And I was determined to make sure that the ARI Awards were aspirational for artists. Full circle, 10 years later, there's Powderfinger up on stage. There was no freaking stage with these, with this woman <laughs> behind drinking a beer, talking to a bawling boyfriend in the backdrop as they're getting the award. In and the, they got it, a look on their face it, saying, what the fuck are we doing yeah. here? <laughs> so it went full circle. From the Inside is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.